Hey, this week on Jesus, Sex, and Politics, I had the privilege of jumping on another podcast of a friend of mine. His name is Johnny Kincaid, and he has a podcast called This Week in Evansville. He had me on to talk about the delegate process, the precinct committee process, and also how we can take back our communities, our state, and our nation at the grassroots level. It's really important to get involved early on in the process, and precinct committee men and delegates are one of the ways we can do that here in the state of Indiana. So dive in with us. I'm going to jump over to his podcast here. It's going to be a great informative time explaining how we the people are going to be the stewards of our republic and what we can do to step up and take back our nation. You're not going to want to miss it. Here we go. Hi, I'm Johnny Kincaid. Thanks for taking the time to join us. We are uh, on our We the People kick today um, because this podcast is dropping on January 10th. That is the first day to be able to file as a candidate to get your name onto the ballot for the May primary. Uh, so th- this is going to be my encouragement to you is is to get involved in the process. You know, we all sit back, we complain, we, we whine, we go, it's going so bad. I can't stand leadership. Every time that the, that the National Republican Party calls me and begs for money, I hang up on them. Why? Because we need new leadership. It's simple as that. And it makes me nuts. So, um, I'm sorry. I did this, that, that my tirade. But I get fired up about it because I gave them $35 like years ago. And, and I'm still on their call list and I, and my, my phone rings on a regular basis and they're all, and they're, and, and I'm like going, I'm not worth your time. I gave $35 once and they, uh, and they still keep me on the list. I've, I've begged them, take me off your list. But anyway, that's a whole nother story. We, the people, we can get the power back through this filing process, through through the process that starts right now, because the process wasn't meant to protect elites and incumbents. The process was meant for there to be citizen legislators, that, that you and I, as just regular folks, have the opportunity to be able to, to really make an indelible mark on the history of our city, our county, our state, and our federal government. And we do that through the election process. And this is, this is the, we're, we're at the starting gun for this. So if you've ever thought, maybe I'll, I'll run for office. Maybe it's now it's the time to give a really serious consideration. I want to, I'm going to give a big salute to, um, to Jonathan Weaver, who lost his seat in the city council in that, uh, that Democrat landslide that took place in 2023. And Jonathan's going to be uh, running this year for a county commission seat. So bravo. Good job. I, I hope you run and, and I want to, want to see it be a good competitive race. Because that's what we need is that discussion to take place for, for there to be more interchange and more just regular folks getting involved in the process. We don't need people who, who become career politicians and even in the local level, they exist. When, but we're going to talk about actually today the simplest way that you can become, um, I hate to use this wording, but you can become a power broker in your local political party. 
<laughs> really? And then you get phone calls from people like, for example, Micah Beckworth is, is, uh, is on the line. He's going to be, we'll talk to him here in just a couple of minutes, but you get calls from people like Micah because he's running for, uh, lieutenant governor of the state of Indiana. We'll talk more about that process with him here in, in just a second. But, but, you know, I, when I first became a, a precinct committee person and then became a delegate to the convention for the first time and my phone started ringing and it's all these people going, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm running for this office. And I thought, haven't I just become a big shot now, right? <laughs> Not really, but there is power put in the hands of the people who become involved in that process on the, on the most basic local level and and that's what this this half hour is going to be all about is encouraging you to become involved at that basic local level all right so let's do that and we're going to talk about exactly how now as we're joined by Micah Beckwith. And by the way, before before we go any further, I want to remind you to be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you get updates on on new shows. We're we're trying to touch your life on a daily basis with the podcast now. So you you definitely want to get subscribed so you get updates on on the upcoming episodes. Smash the like button by all means and and share your comments. Good, bad, or indifferent, share your comments with us as well. We'll look forward to, to hearing from you. Now to Micah. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, Johnny. Thanks for having Good. me. You, you caught me when I'm, I'm like in a, in a fired up mood. I think it's the sweatshirt. <laughs> you know, we, we bought this sweatshirt at a Bucky's on, uh, in, in, uh, <laughs> in <Bucky's>. Alabama. <laughs> I, I do too. It's, it's so funny how many people from Indiana now swear by going to Bucky's every chance they get. I have a but, six uh, and a so, four year old and they <laughs> love going to Bucky's. If we ever go on a road trip, they're like, can we find a Bucky's and stop at a Bucky's? <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah, dude, it's insane. And then when you post that on Facebook, it's everybody that you know is jealous. Yeah, no. You get more. You you put a picture of yourself standing in a Bucky's on Facebook, and you'll get more comments than you get them. And none of my political stuff will get anywhere near the kind of comments that I get if I'm just standing in Bucky's. <laughs> I love it. Maybe we should turn the state legislative uh, houses into Bucky's, and then people will actually take go. part in their government. So that that would be uh, that's a great. <laughs> idea what a plan yeah. so i, I want to, anyway so so this sweatshirt came from from bucky's and i i just thought today it's really appropriate and for some reason every time that i put this shirt on i, I wind up turning into this raving <laughs> lunatic about the spirit about of the founding power. fathers the don't tread that's on exactly. me exactly the gadsden flag <laughs> spirit so i love it mm. It's just, it's, so pardon me for my insanity today. It's, I'm blaming it all on the shirt. <laughs> all right. So, um, I, I want to talk before we get into the, the kind of the nuts and bolts of we the people grabbing power. I want to talk about your, um, what you've been up to because you've actually started an interesting process that I don't think I've seen before. And uh, I don't think most people in the, in, in even, even those who are pretty ingrained in the political process, um, haven't really seen anybody do what you're doing, which is to actually make a run for lieutenant governor. Yes. Um, it's a very different approach. Yeah. So in Indiana, typically the way it's gone throughout the history of our, uh, at least the modern day political history is that the governor candidate will appoint or anoint, I would say, the lieutenant governor uh, nominee, and but, but here's here's the little secret that 
most people, especially in leadership uh, and in the establishment, don't want you to know is the governor candidate doesn't have the authority to anoint that person to be to be the office holder for lieutenant governor. It goes to the delegates, the delegates who are elected by you, the people. So in your May primary, you'll see a list of delegates from your your area, your district. And you'll say, I want this person to go represent me in the Republican Party uh, so that that way we can make sure the Republican Party has a good handle on what the people of the Republican Party want. And so we send delegates to the state convention every two years, and they are the ones that actually have the authority to nominate whoever the lieutenant governor is. But they have just been told who to vote for for the last 30 years, 35 years. And 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 frankly, I don't like when anyone tells me to who, who to vote for. I, I, I'm not okay with being told who to vote for. I want to I want to know the candidates. I want to see the best candidate come to the top and then I will vote personally for that candidate. So I've been a delegate since 2016 uh, every two years. And I've always asked the question when it comes to lieutenant governor, why can't we pick the lieutenant governor? We there are the other state offices that we get to pick at the convention are attorney general, uh, secretary of state, state treasurer and state comptroller or state auditor. It was it was formerly. And we've always had good, solid, competitive races for those offices. But when it comes to lieutenant governor, you know, the party kind of says, oh, the hands off of this one. This is not this is not yours, delegate. So what I've done this year is basically just said, hey, state party either take it away from the delegates and give it and make the authority fall into the hands of, of the governor candidate or get off of it and let the delegates choose who they think is best. And I'm all about authority, right? Like I, I recognize authority. I want to honor authority. And if the authority is in the hands of the delegates to choose, then the delegates have to have the right to choose. And, and so for me, I just said, be honest, state party. Like you can change the bylaws of the party. It's no, all we have to do is call a convention and, and change the party bylaws to say we're going to nominate the the lieutenant governor by whoever the governor says should be, and then and then at least authority wise we'd be in alignment with it. But it's it's kind of been this disingenuous uh, you know kind of pick. Like it's like oh yeah the delegates get to vote on it, but they really don't get to vote on it. They're always told who to vote for. So what I'm doing is saying no, we're going to run. I'm running to the delegates. I'm calling delegates. We're getting in front of delegates. And we're saying, hey, let me tell you why I would be a good steward of the lieutenant governor's office for four years. And you decide as a delegate if if I would be good or not. So the 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 process as um, people might be more familiar with it, because sometimes when you're talking on the the state level, people go, I've never heard how that works. Yeah. But it's but it's basically it's kind of the same as as what happens at the national level with the president there's a national convention yeah. the president runs in, in in to to get enough um votes to become the uh the party's nominee um actually he's not confirmed until the the delegates vote on that yeah. and then after he's confirmed then the delegates vote on the vice president now again the the party uh, and this is both parties, by the way. It's not just the, the Republicans, but the parties have, have allowed that process to get hijacked too at the federal level. And, and it used to be that the power lie, would lie with the delegates and they would tell the party, here's who we think yeah. should run. Yeah. And, and it's gotten flipped upside down grassroots doesn't exist anymore and it's all trickle down and so so at the federal level now we're being told the way it's supposed to work is those delegates represent you and i and they're supposed to then um 
help determine who the best suited person is for that position. Um, so it got hijacked at the federal level. It's been hijacked at the, at the state level as well. Um, and by the way, when, when, um, when Micah talks about, uh, honoring authority, I, I just have to throw this in, but Micah is a pastor. That's his, that's his full-time gig, right? Yep. So I, I think Micah knows a little bit about honoring authority. <laughs> well, we see, we see that in scripture all, all laid out is God is a God of authority, right? He, he sets up authority and then he expects us to honor authority. And, and as long as the authority doesn't trump, uh, God's authority, then we're called to, we're called to walk in that uh, in that honoring of authority, and so that's the uh, you know. I, I, and our founders knew that. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a constitutional teacher as well. I teach a high school constitutional literacy uh, course, and and so I've I've been a student of history my whole life. I, I love the Constitution. Our our founders, the reason that they didn't they didn't want to necessarily buck the system and 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 secede from the British Empire. That's not it, they were British. I mean, they grew up under British. I mean, it would have been like. It would have been like us saying we no longer want to be a part of the United States. It would be very hard for us as patriots to think, how do we remove ourselves from this like land that we loved? But the reason they did that was because King George wasn't honoring authority. He was not following God's authority that God had said the government is allowed to do this and the government doesn't get to do this. But King George was saying, hey, I'm God and I'll do whatever I want to do. And you're going to you're going to bow to me whether you like it or not. That's why they broke from the from the British Empire was because because King George wasn't honoring authority. So our founders knew authority. They understood authority. They they set up a system of authority that would actually be from a a people at the top and not a person, the people. So we, the people, are the ultimate authority under God's authority here in the United States. And and we've gotten away from that. And so I'm I'm running to get us back into right alignment here in the state of Indiana. And, and falling back to the, the, the founding fathers and their belief in authority, one of the, uh, there's an excellent show hosted by Rob Lowe on Fox Nation that talks about the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. And, and, and you get a sense from watching that of exactly what you talked about, that, that, that they weren't out to try to, try to completely buck the system. They were out for fair treatment. That's right. And they, they were very measured in, in what they did with the, the Boston Tea Party. They were not out to, to start this revolution. They weren't anarchists. They, yeah, they, right. Yeah, they, they just not, wanted to send a message. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, that, I think that's the thing we, we forget what, you know, these, these guys that, that really stood up to King George, they really wanted at their heart of hearts, they wanted to continue to be a part of Britain and, and the British Empire. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to, to buck the system. They would have much rather King George just treated them fairly as the colonies and they would have had equal say in the British parliament. We would still be British right now had that been the case. But the reason they ended up saying enough is enough is because King George would not relent and he would, he, he essentially just had his foot on their throats and they said, all right, well, you're the one doing this, King George. We're not the ones seceding from you. You're seceding from us. And, and now you, you caused the war and, and I guess we'll, we'll fight it. And I think that's, you know, that's what government needs to remember. If, if you push us too far as the people, Okay, like don't don't blame us though when we stand up and say enough's enough because ultimately we the people are the authority and we have a right to tell the government no your place is over here go sit down shut up and let us tell you what to do not the other way around. And in that original founding of of, of government, the, the it, it really came down to the idea that this farmer 
is not going to give up farming for the rest of his life. Right. He is going to come and serve so for a did. short amount of time, <laughs> make his difference. Yeah. And, and he has equal standing with the lawyer who comes from another state. Mm-hmm. And, and they, you know, in coming together, these common folks, they have to look for that common ground. We don't have that anymore because it's lawyer after lawyer after lawyer coming in. And, um, so they, they all have that as, as their worldview. And, and then they're looking at a career because, there's so much money always at stake in it. Yeah. And, and the elites are throwing money down to keep people in their positions because it's good for the elites. Uh, and it's, it's really, we've come to a time where, um, we, the people really need to step in and, and do something yeah. about that. That's right. That's good. Yeah. That's why not, then I'll let you move on after this, but the, mm-hmm. that's why we have two year terms, uh, in, in the House of Representatives in Congress because, because they always, the founders always imagined that this would not be a career job. This is a two year service project, right? You would get called on by your community to leave your farm for two years. You'd go live in the swamp in DC. You'd fight for what your community believes is right. And then after two years, you've done your tour of duty, right? It was a service. It was an act of service. And then you say, okay, I've done my part. I'm going to go back to my community. Someone else is going to get elected. I'm going to pass the baton to them. They're going to go in and they're going to continue to carry on the good fight. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a four, six, eight, uh, year, year of, of, uh, your career. It, it wasn't a lifelong career. It was literally just a two year, service opportunity. I've heard many members of Congress who say, I don't like that there's two-year terms because I always feel like I'm campaigning. It's like, well, you feel that way because you've turned this into multi-years of a career. It was only supposed to be one term, and then you pass the buck to somebody else and let them come in and do it. But they don't want to do that because once you get power, you don't want to let it go. And uh, you know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think George Washington's example uh, is fascinating. When you studied the life of George Washington, he had ultimate power. The The Continental Congress, or the, I'm sorry, the Continental Army wasn't getting paid by Congress. They actually came to George Washington and they said, hey, you were a general in the revolution. You you will be the guy that will rally behind. If you give the word, we'll revolt, we'll, we'll, we'll overthrow this new government, and we'll make you and all of your children and children's children king of the new world. And, and he he said, whoa, no, absolutely not. We just fought a war to, to get rid of that, that system of government. We're not going to do that. But he had, it was like the, the silver platter was handed to him of power for years. He could have set up his whole family for generations to come. And he said, nope, I'm not going to do that. And if you study the life of George Washington, he was a part of the, the Order of Cincinnatus. And, and Cincinnatus was a Roman farmer. In the back in the Roman Empire days, and and he was given full authority by the Roman Senate to actually do whatever he needed to do to get the Roman Empire back in order. And the the question this was always a, this was always something that the Roman Empire had in his tool belt, but they had never done it until Cincinnati. And Cincinnati, he came in, and the the question was: if you get ultimate ter- like power, if we give it to you to do whatever you want, you're basically a king. No one can question what you do. Will you ever give that power back? That was always the question, right? And so people didn't know. And so they gave it to Cincinnati for six months. He, he did whatever he needed to do to get the empire back in right order. And then after he was done, he gave the power back to the Roman Senate and went back to being a farmer. 
And so George Washington was part of this order of Cincinnatus that 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 he knew that he understood the temptations of power. But he said, you know what? Like good leaders like Cincinnatus, I'm going to give the power back to where it belongs. And that's in the hands of the people, not in my not in my hands. And so we've lost that spirit here in the United States. People don't see it that way anymore. And hopefully what I can do as a educator and as a pastor and as someone who the Lord is leading into the political realm is to begin to retrain those who are in power and those who are in politics to have that same heart as George Washington had to say, hey, it's not this is not a career and this is not about you. This is about the people and it's about doing what is right for them and to be a servant that people use. You let people use your shoulders to stand on so that they can get higher than you have ever gotten. And that's the heart of a servant and that's called servant leadership. And so we need to bring that back to to the nation, but but it starts here at home, here in Indiana. Because right right now, what we see is the elected officials there as the grass tops now, right? And um, and we we uh, we've lost sight completely of where the roots are. Yeah. And um, and the roots. Th- th- hear me on this. Because people keep saying, oh, I don't have any control. There's nothing I can do. You know, this, this freight train's out of control and she's going to keep being out of control. And the candidates that they put up are, are, are they all stink. <laughs> They're all bad. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm voting for the lesser of two evils yeah. all the time. Yeah. We, we talk about that so much, but, but the truth is where that power really lies is in the grassroots and that grassroots in the political system is in precinct committeemen and in delegates to the convention. Those two positions are, are the difference makers because, um, a county chairman for a political party really has a lot of power and a lot of discretion. Yeah. And, um, and that showed in the past couple of years when they kept applying the, that new law that passed in Indiana about the, the voting in, in two consecutive primaries, primaries, right? And, and they were, you know, and, and nobody said they had to apply that. So in some cases, county chair people applied that when it was convenient to them. And when it, when there was a person that they wanted to see move forward in the process, then they ignored that law, you know. They so um, they've got a lot of discretion and a lot of power there in that, that county. But you know who they answer to is to the PCs Precinct and the, those. Yep. That's it. Yep. And um, you know, the the honest truth is, not enough people run for precinct committeemen to to fill all of those positions. So you know who fills those vacancies. The county chairman, thereby giving that chairman even more power. So it's saying, hey, Johnny, uh, I've got some vacancies on the PC uh, spots here. So I'm going to pick you to fill one of those PC roles. But, hey, since I answer to you and I'm picking you for this PC, you better do what I tell you to do. So they, they flip it. And, then, and essentially, then the PCs who get appointed by the chairman, they answer to the to the chairman and not the other way around. And so so that's kind of, again, to your point. We need we need conservatives at a grassroots level to see the PC, the vice PC, and the delegate positions as 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 critical positions that should be taken seriously, and good people should run for those seats because then you'll start getting good chair chair people, and then you'll get good candidates because those chairmen will help good candidate candidates get on the ballot and get elected, and then you'll get to the general election, and you won't always be saying, "Wow, 
I'm picking between the lesser of two evils. You'll actually be saying there's a great candidate on the general election ballot that I get to vote for now. Uh, and, and it's because it started back in the first quarter. We as conservatives, here's what I've seen over the last, you know, probably four or five years as I've really gotten involved is we tend to think that we can play the game in the fourth quarter and win the game. Like we just enter the game in the fourth quarter. No, you got to go back. You got to you got to you got training camp. You got to lay the groundwork. You got the first, second and third quarters to play. And then when you come to the fourth quarter, you're setting yourself up well for a win. But we always jump in at the fourth quarter and think, oh, this is terrible. Why can't we fix it? And it's like, well, because you haven't laid the groundwork. And you know what? That's a biblical principle. It's called the principle of the seed, right? You don't just get a crop by saying one day, oh, I want a, I want a full crop of corn. No, you've got to go out. You've got to find the land. You've got to purchase the land. You've got to till the land. You've got to plant the seed. And then maybe at the end of all of that, you might get a little bit of a crop and then you do it again with more seed, and then you get a bigger crop, and then you do it again with more seed and get a bigger crop. And it takes years of planting for that small mustard seed to create a huge mustard tree. And so we just, we got to go back to those biblical principles and say, hey, it doesn't just start at the fourth quarter. We've got to do the work as conservatives and grassroots, and we got to get involved. And so that's really, I'm out there trying to educate people on exactly what you just said, because that's really how we're going to change our nation in, in a good way. From here on out, when I hear somebody whining about rhinos, for example, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to look at them and say, are you a PC? <laughs> That's good. If not, shut yeah, up. Do, you know? some, yeah. do something about <laughs> you it. Shut up. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to hear the whining. Yeah. I, I want, want people to actually take so, responsibility. So we've got, we got rhinos, but then we'll call those people who whine about the rhinos the winos. Okay, so we'll call them... <laughs> The winos, and then we'll have people who actually get off the the bench and do something about it. And so, uh, yeah. So the rhinos, don't be a rhino and don't be a wino. Uh, do something about it. Exactly. Get involved. So there, there are like in Vandenberg County, somewhere around a hundred precincts in the county. So there are plenty of slots for people to to be able yeah. to to fit into there to uh, to be a, a precinct committee person. And I'm the um, lowest of the low when it comes to that because I'm a vice PC. So like, so vice, so there's a, there's a spot for vice PCs too. Again, that's like the trash picker upper of the, you know, of the party. So you just do the lowest of the low. Uh, but I've been a vice PC for uh, a number of years and, uh, and, and that's actually an important position too, because if your PC can't fulfill something, you get called on to do, to step in and fulfill the duties of the PC. So, so you could be a vice if you're like, well, I don't want the responsibility of a PC. Well, think about being a vice PC. That's also a great, a great place to, to step in and serve. So. And the way that you become a PC, it's the same as becoming a delegate to the convention. It's that you get a can 37 form. Uh, we'll, we'll put all of that information in the, the show notes, but a CAN 37 form, you get that from the Secretary of State's office. Uh, you, you fill the form out, you submit it between now and February 9th. Uh, so here's, and here's the thing too, if that, if that's confusing to you, just go to your local courthouse, uh, and go into your elections office and say, I'd like to run for delegate or I'd like to run for PC. They'll give you the CAN 37 form right there. You can fill it out. They'll notarize it, notarize it. Um, that you can, you don't have to like go find the form online. You can, you can do it and you can fill it out and take it in and, or have it notarized yourself and, and take it in. But, but all that to say, it's very simple. Just walk into your elections office at your local county courthouse and say, I'd like to run for delegate and they'll give you the form and, and then you're off to the running. 
And and by the way, when we talk about these positions, you, you know, um, whether it's a precinct committeeman or, um, or or delegate to the convention, these are not terribly time consuming. I mean, we've no. we've talked about this huge impact from this, but but it's a here's what's great about it: it's a huge impact without a huge investment into it. There's there's no money involved. Number one, you don't ever have to give a, a dime to a, to a candidate or to the party. Well, technically, to, I will say this. Right? Technically, if you do mm-hmm. get elected as delegate, you do have to pay a hundred dollar filing fee for the convention. So hundred dollars, okay. but it gets right. you your credentials. It gets you sort of the you know cover. It's the processing fee essentially. So hundred dollars goes to the party as a delegate. That's it. Uh, but yes, to your point, it's very there's after that there is no commitment mm-hmm. on your end whatsoever. So yeah, and uh, yeah, it, 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 so it's 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 very. Low involvement, but but very high return on it. As a precinct committee person, you're going to get called on to, for a caucus every now and then. Now, when a a um, elected official steps down and they got to fill that position, they do I, that through a caucus of the of the PCs. I saw a stat, um, Johnny, uh, on that the other day, and I think it said something like high 30s or low 40 percent of of state and, and federal lawmakers who are in office started by winning a caucus to get into the seat, right? So what that means is whenever somebody retires or dies or steps away from the office while midterm in office, they have to fill the seat. Well, who gets to fill it? It's the party of that person who who stepped away or, or vacated the seat. They call the PCs together. And the PCs then come together and say, we vote on this. So, so we've had, we've had federal offices, U.S. congressional seats, like what happened with, uh, with Jackie Wolowski uh, up in the second district in Indiana a few years ago. Unfortunately, she died in a car accident. She was a fantastic, uh, representative, but they had to replace her. And so, uh, they caucused in Rudy Yakum and Rudy won with, I think he won with a, uh, don't hold me to this, but I think it was like 200 and, 200-ish, somewhere around there, people voted for Rudy, right? 200 people, but they were PCs, and I think there was a caucus, there was a caucus. They had about 400 and some some uh, PCs. I think 300 of them showed up uh, to the caucus, and 200 plus, give or take, don't hold me to that number, voted for Rudy to become the next U.S. representative. And then he goes on to win the general because he was kind of the incumbent at that point. The next time around. And so now he's probably going to be in office for a long time, but it all started with a caucus. And, and, and probably a month earlier, if you would have gone to Rudy and said, Hey, Rudy, a month from now, you're going to be in the U.S. Congress. He would have been like, what are you talking about? No way. How's this possible? But within a month of Jackie dying, he's now in the seat. And, and a month earlier, he was just a normal guy, just like you and I that was involved in the party on the grassroots level. And, and here we have him now serving in the United States House of Representatives because of a caucus. And it took 200 people to just say, yes, we want Rudy. That's it. 200 people out of an entire congressional district, 200 people put him into office. And now he'll probably be in office for a long time. So and thankfully, Rudy's a good a good guy. So, I mean, I, I'm, I don't have any problems with Rudy. But but yeah, if think of it this way, like caucuses honestly are probably even more important than the generals because you are now it takes less people to vote that person in and you're setting them up as the incumbent and there's a 90 percent win rate for incumbents in every election that's crazy 90 percent 
So I think that's a problem that we need to fix. I'm, I'm part of the U.S. term limits uh, uh, organization as well. We're fighting for congressional term limits in, in Washington for on the federal level. Uh, and part of that is because the, inc- the power of the incumbency. It's hard for normal people like you and I to actually run a race against a U.S. congressman because they're the incumbents and they have all the access to power, to money, to the marketing materials. And, uh, and so we're trying to put term limits in place so that they – they get termed out and then it can open up the door for new blood and, and new life. So anyway, all that to say, that's a whole nother topic someday, but yeah. so. <laughs> well, um, and then, and then of course, when we're, when we talk about the, uh, the convention, we we're talking uh, again as a delegate, all you're committed to is one day, one day when you become a delegate, one day and June 15th. in Vandenberg County, yeah. June, June 15th. June fifteenth. Yep, and it's and, actually and, only and, probably about five hours. It's not even a whole day. It's only right. It's only going to yeah. be about five five hours, maybe six. You know, if it's a little bit longer, but that's it. Yeah. Now from Evansville, of course, you've got a little bit of a drive both ways, but hey, you know, you you get a, a couple of other delegates together in the car with you, and you you yeah. have some fun on the way. That's right. Um, you know, but you can listen to one of Johnny's podcasts on the way up. I mean, like it's perfect. there. You go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know the. the <laughs> that might you you might fall asleep at the wheel doing that. You, you know. What it's happened to all the Vandenberg uh, delegates? Well, they got in car accidents because they all fell asleep. And they were listening to Johnny's podcast. I don't know. I don't, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, from Vandenberg County, there will be forty four delegates to the to the convention, right? And they don't fill all of those slots through the election process. Yeah. That's a problem. Because then again, the county chairperson is going to appoint all of those people to all of those those open seats at the convention. So um, gets you know what that tells me is your odds are pretty good if you just fill out the form and get your name on the ballot. There is a really good chance that you are going to wind up going to the yeah, convention. It's pretty pretty easy. Yeah. So do it. That's that's the bottom line. It's it's that that five hour window. What you're doing during that time, you're going to vote on a, on a few proposals. Some of it sounds pretty boring, like you're going to you're going to approve the state party's platform, right? Um, and maybe there's some wordsmithing that has to go into the thing and, you know, that, all of that. But, and then you're going to be voting on these key candidates like Micah for, um, Lieutenant Governor. And this year and, it's also the Attorney General. So those are the, and we have a convention okay. every two years. So every two years you can run for delegate and, uh, and, and you have to run for delegate. You, just because you win this time around doesn't mean you're going to be a delegate the next time around. So, Every time, once June 15th is over, you're done. There's no more. You're not technically a delegate anymore. You were a delegate, and then you'd have to run again in 2026 uh, to be to be a delegate. But every two years, we go from lieutenant governor and AG candidates to the next convention will be secretary of state, treasurer, and comptroller candidates. And just so you know, the party platform's a big deal. So the party platform is is what we believe as the Republican Party in Indiana. And we've got to get our vision statement in line if we want to know where we're going. And in 2018, down in Evansville, when the convention was in Evansville, I was there, and, and we had this big battle play out between the establishment rhinos 
and the and grassroots conservatives that wanted to remove the standard of traditional marriage from the state party platform. They didn't want Republicans to say that marriage is between one man and one woman. The establishment, the elites, the the people who don't know what God's word says, said, "Oh, you can you can marry whoever you want to marry. Like it's you know you can marry your dog. You could marry a you know a same sex marriage. It's just as good as a normal marriage." And they don't look at the history of marriage and say, no, God ordained marriage between one man and one woman. And we had this battle in Evansville. And overwhelmingly, the, de the delegates were very conservative. And they shot this proposal down to remove traditional marriage from the state party platform. Now, they did that with the help of then Attorney General Curtis Hill and then uh, now State Treasurer Daniel Elliott. Uh, those two guys really helped lead the charge to make sure that we didn't get a... Uh, that, that we didn't uh, defile what marriage really is. And so so they, those two guys stood up and said, hey, we're as a Republican Party, we believe marriage is between one man and one woman, and we're going to stick to that And uh, because God said what marriage is, and we don't have a right to redefine it. And so it was great. I mean, they embarrassed the Holcomb team because the Holcomb camp wanted to, you know, make marriage whatever someone wants to make marriage. And, and, uh, and, and we as delegates stood up and said no, and it was like 90%. Uh, overwhelming. I mean, ninety percent of the delegates said, "Get out of here with your woke nonsense." I mean, this was before woke was probably even woke, and and we told them like, you know, get out of here with that woke nonsense. And uh, and but that's so I say that all to say it's important that you you get good delegates down at the state convention because we almost had a party platform had it not been for the delegates that that would have would have glorified all of this woke nonsense when it comes to marriage and sexuality. And yet the delegates stood up and said, no, in Indiana, we as Republicans believe that marriage should still be between one man and one woman. So that's, that's important. We, we have Diego Morales as the secretary of state because yeah. the, the conservative wing basically showed up at the, at the convention. And, uh, and I've, I've got to say, I love Holly Sullivan. I've known her for a while. And, um, you know, but, uh, the conservatives, I don't think it was so much that Holly was, was not a good secretary of state. It was that the conservative wing wanted to send a message. Yeah. And they, and they sent a strong message. They did. Uh, in, in that Holly's name was, was up and that's who the governor wanted and, and, and a certain group within, within the party. And, um, you know, the, the, the folks attending the, the convention were conservatives. Who said no? We're we're not going to take what you hand us. Yeah, we are going to we we're we're thinkers here, <laughs> and we're independent, and we can think for ourselves. And here's what we think is best. I kind of I kind of I kind of felt bad for Holly uh, a little bit because she like to your point I she's very too. she's a very nice nice lady, and I I don't mm -hmm. think she was a bad Secretary of State in any way shape or form. Right, but she was appointed by a guy who had literally just trampled the Constitution just a couple years earlier during COVID. Right. Telling people you mm -hmm. can't come out of your house, shutting down churches, shutting down the, you know, tell, labeling essential and non-essential people, forcing the vaccine on people, all of this nonsense. Right. And so Holly Sullivan was essentially his appointment. And so the conservatives said, we're going to make it known that we are not happy with this governor. And you know what? Governor Holcomb didn't even attend the convention. He got booed the night before at the at the uh, little, you know, kind of you know, come and, and see and say hi to people at the, the, the suites when all the, the food is out there. He got booed by delegates when he took the stage. And so he didn't even come on Saturday to the convention 
because he knew he, the the backlash he was going to get. It was going to be an embarrassment for him and the party. But but I say all this to say not because Eric Holcomb's a bad guy personally. I think he's probably a fine fine man. He just was not a conservative constitutionalist. He he trampled the Constitution. The conservatives at the convention let him know it, and they said, "Hey, you're not going to do this and get away with it under our watch." And that's the power of the delegate. That is why exactly. we have to get good delegates in place. And so, yeah, it was awesome. I thought it was a, it was a great message to send. It, it put fear in the hearts of those in government, which is a good thing. You want the government to fear the people, not the other way around. And, exactly. uh, and it reminded them who's in charge, and it's we the people. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, big. Uh, that, that was a, a huge moment. And, and uh, it's the example that we need to follow. Yep. Which yep. is that we, um, that we get engaged, involved, and we're a part of the process. And that's how we create change. It's just as simple as that. So we want to really, really encourage you to get that, uh, go, go to the, the county elections office, get your paperwork, get, get it notarized, get it filed, and get your name on the ballot for the, the May primary so that you can become a delegate. I'm, I've decided, you know, the, my first time as a delegate, I, I only went on Saturday for the, for the convention. So I'm, I've decided this year, I've got to get the full experience. So I'm, we'll I'm have going a Friday. Hey, we'll have a suite. So the Beckwith uh, team will have a, a suite on Friday and we'll have a lot of good food. Actually, you know what? Uh, we'll probably have like just finger food. I'm not going to spend a ton of money on the food just so you know, like, cause I'm fiscally conservative and, uh, but, but we'll, uh, we'll have some good conversation and, uh, some nice hors d'oeuvres and, and so come and, on Friday and. and yeah, the the good food will be for the big donors. So um, <laughs> I have none. So uh, it's all hundred dollar donor people. So uh, there, y'all there'll getting... be lobster in the bathroom. <laughs> no, That'll be no. that's, first of all, that's disgusting. Don't ever eat lobster in any bathroom. If someone offers you lobster in the bathroom, bathroom, run away. Uh, but you'll have uh, cheese squares and probably some uh, pepperoni slices. So that, that's and maybe some cookies. So. I, well, good. I'll come hungry. That'll be, that'll be great. Hey, I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your spirit and the fact that that uh, that you're out to be um, a part of the solution rather than one of the whiners. And uh, so the winos. You know, that's the, we're not a wino. Here. Winos. Yeah, we're not the winos. winos. Rhinos yeah. and winos. Yeah, I yeah. love it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for uh, for taking some time today to be with us. I know the schedule's busy. With uh, you probably have, you know, a, a call list of thirty <laughs> zillion people that you have to go 1800 uh, i'm running for 1800, yeah. <laughs> 1800 delegates that's uh, i gotta call and, them all so but but see here's what you what you have this is this is the the thing for you though is that uh when you place that call you know that person on the receiving end is going a candidate for lieutenant yeah. governor is calling me that's right so yep. you know they're excited to talk to you which yep. is kind of cool it is yeah, yeah that's, how, that's how it should be right that's that's yeah. retail politics it's I represent, you know, everybody, and so and so. I, I need to get out and talk to them and hear hear from them and let they can it's tell me. It's been a while since I've. Yeah. It's been a while since I've called anybody who was excited to actually hear from me. So you know, <laughs> you, you've, you've got the honors. That's, that's funny. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Johnny. Thanks for all you're doing. All and, right. Uh, you know, keep up the good work down south, and uh, you know, I think Indiana really is primed to be a, a 
a beacon of liberty for uh, the nation. I mean, we're the, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're called the heartland. I think you revive the heart and you, you revive the body. And that's just the word the Lord has given from, to me and I think to many others that Indiana strategically is set up in a place to be a, a, a light. And you look at Michigan, Illinois, Ohio and Kentucky, and they're kind of they're kind of going the way of darkness. I mean, they're going the way of uh, not not good policy decisions. It's making it hard on their people. And I think Indiana, we've got to hold the line and we've got to say, no, this is right. This is how God said things should go. And guess what? When you go the way God says it should go, it works really well for everyone. I mean, whether you believe in God or not, it still works well for Mm -hmm. you. And so as Indiana, we need to be that beacon of truth uh, and liberty and go back to those constitutional, uh, just those those biblical principles that are that are laid out in our Constitution and say, hey, this is what we believe in Indiana. We're not backing down from this. And and that will spread to the other states around us and we'll be a we'll be a beacon for them as well. And so so it's, it's really important what we're doing here. So thank you for your voice, Johnny, and keep it up. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate that. Hey, uh, be sure that you uh, hit the like button, that you comment, that you uh, subscribe, do all of those things. And uh, that's that's the way that we're going to grow this message and, and get it out to more people. Thanks for joining us and join us again next time on This Week in Evansville.